I've been reading a book entitled Facing the Blitz. It was written by Jeff Kemp, uh, Jack Kemp's son. Jack Kemp was a, a congressman, and Jeff was his son. They both uh, were involved in football, and I'm not much of a sports uh, fan. You all know that, but... Uh, this book is very interesting. It takes off on the motif of, of the blitz in football and how you get blindsided by things. And there's a lot of times when things happen that way. Well, in one of the chapters, um, I was intrigued by uh, the topic of consumer or investor. Are you a consumer or an investor. And it's interesting because the consumer is one that consumes, one that utilizes economic goods, takes advantage of them. An investor is one who commits money to an, in order to earn a financial return, one who involves himself or engages especially emotionally. And he took those two definitions as he talked about uh, how we live our lives and how we become a part of a team. And in looking at this and considering this, I wanted to talk to you about that tonight. We're going to look at it from a scriptural perspective, but how do you view yourself? Are you a consumer or are you an investor? Uh, do you invest in life? Or are you just consuming, just taking? Do you invest when you come to church, or are you a consumer when you come to church? And you think about that. Uh, he, he mentions a young man by the name of Jeremy. He said he's 29 years old. And he, this man described the zeitgeist of the spirit of the times. And I said, zeitgeist? I've heard that. But what does it mean? Now, I don't know if you like to learn new words or not. Uh, I don't know if you've learned any new words this week or not. But uh, zeitgeist was a new word for me. I guess I didn't turn this on there. Okay, guys. Okay, so zeitgeist, um, that is the general intellectual, moral, and cultural climate of an era. Okay? The zeitgeist. The general, intellectual, moral, and cultural climate of an error. And this 29-year-old described his era. He says, this is what our culture is like. This is the zeitgeist. And he says, I think one of the major challenges of my generation is consumerism. We have grown up in a country that has known incredible prosperity and freedom. We have been in inundated with advertisements since we were born. We are the consumers, or we are the customers, the, and the customers are always right. We have been taught to be, by society not to be satisfied with what we have. We need to update and upgrade constantly, or we become outdated and irrelevant. Most of us have never had to learn how to be content. Most of us would never admit to thinking like consumers. But it remains the core of our culture and foundation of our society. 
It's almost impossible not to be affected by it not to, and not let it spill over into our relationships. Jeff Kemp goes on and he says, consumerism is what has trained us to be even more focused on ourselves than we would be on our own on our own, a consumer has a hard time wrapping his head around considering others before himself or thinking about what he can do for others. I find it very interesting. Um, he, said, uh, he says, uh, the basic question is, when you come into a relationship, do you ask this question, what can I get or what can I give? How do I approach it? What am I getting out of this relationship or what am I giving to this relationship? Uh, that's, the, that's what he calls the consumer investor paradigm. How we approach life. Are you an investor or are you a consumer? Now, I'm sharing you, with you some things from his book. Uh, he gives a list of, of characteristics of consumers. And uh, I just want to share with you those, um, the, the list of consumers and the list of investors. It would have been helpful if I probably had it up here on the screen and showed it to you that way. Uh, but just listen and think about this. And uh, then we're going to look at Scripture and see how it applies. A consumer goes into a situation thinking, what can I get out of this? He enters conversations wanting to impress or to win uh, points. He wants to know what others can do for them, seeking advantage for themselves. They want to cut in front of others in long lines or skirt around traffic, behaving aggressively to avoid having to wait like everyone else. They want everything to be convenient for themselves more than for others. They want their kids to do well and, and receive recognition so that they can enjoy the status and st satisfaction of identifying with or taking credit for them. They won't apologize because it's awkward and costs them something, pride. Look for the fastest way to get what they want from others, even resorting to manipulation or bullying, obviously to the fact that others may feel used. They justify compromise as a means to an end. They often engage in white lies and half-truths, all the while deceiving others. Withhold information and opportunities that would give an advantage to others. They compare people and relationships, often justly, jealously over, overestimating others' happiness compared to their own. They are intently looking for the best seat in the room, or car, or at the table, etc. They want to win arguments, land a sharp retort, and be right. They come home at night wanting to be served or left alone. They want to be understood more than to understand others. They dominate conversations without asking questions or listening. They are driven by the desire to be popular. Cho they choose friends and date people for selfish reasons, ignoring the emotional vulnerabilities of others. And they put others down or with, withhold praise so as to build up themselves. So that's just a kind of over, 
view of, of the view of what a consumer might be in a relationship. What about investors? Investors go into situations thinking, what can I, how can I bless others or add value to their lives? They enter conversations with curiosity about other people, hoping to learn more about them. They seek to understand before seeking to be understood. They want to know what they can do to help others, aiming to validate and encourage them. They recognize others' wishes and are happy to accommodate. They consider the long term when it comes to relationships. They take joy in giving consideration to others and seeing their pleasures, practicing kindness kindness unconditionally. Handling traffic with patience and are uh, courteous toward fellow drivers, even when they behave rudely, such as trying to cut in to gain for themselves a better position. They don't insist on self-convenience when it's inconvenience for others. They avoid comparing their children's achievements to other children. They understand the dividends of apologizing and forgiving Uh, rejecting bitterness. They avoid shortcuts, selfish requests, and manipulation. Won't bully, demand, or whine in their relationships. They stick to honesty, self-disclosure, and transparency when facing a conflict, even when it doesn't reflect well on them. They share information and opportunities that would give an advantage to or assist others. They honor the truth for the purpose of loving others. They minimize the fault of others, dealing honestly but with no extra portions of guilt or shame. Can keep a secret and protect confidences, avoiding gossip and public criticism. They do their best to bring optimism and hope to people and situations with a glass-half-full attitude and the sun will come up tomorrow, influence. Seeking to understand what is unique about others and what motivates them by taking a genuine interest in each of their relationships. And he says one of the key things about being an investor is that you're thankful. And when you're thankful, it's easier to be invested in other people. So um, that's from uh, the book Blitz by Jeff Kemp. Now, I want you to look here with me and and think with me about uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, but we're going to make a reference from Hebrews chapter uh, 1. The emphasis in in 1 Timothy 3, or 2 Timothy 3, is on knowledge. It's about knowing. And uh, Paul is, he's, he's informing Timothy about the character of the last days. And you know, if you would take what I just read about consumerism and the zeitgeist of our culture, you would have to say that that is a very clear, uh, insightful view of where, what we're headed for in the last days. And you'll see that as we look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 here, uh, there is a self-focus in the last days. 
and uh, we'll see that. But he's, he wants to encourage him, and he's, he's giving him some principles for action uh, based on knowledge, how we as Christians are to live, how we're supposed to get through this day in which we're living. And, you know, some people, uh, they seem to be kind of like the pilot uh, that uh, came on and said, folks, uh, I, I have uh, some bad news, uh, we're lost, but the good news is we're making good time. And you know, some people are like that. They, they, they don't know where they're at, they don't know where they're going, they don't know what they're doing, but boy, they're having a good time, you know, and, and life's okay. And I, I want us to think about where we are, and so looking here and beginning uh, with Hebrews, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Now, I want you to think about this. Paul the writer of Hebrews, and I think it was probably Paul, but there's a lot of discussion about that. But the writer to Hebrews said, God spoke to us through his son in what? These last days. Now, that being important because the last days began with the ministry of Jesus Christ and will continue until he returns. It began with the ministry of Jesus Christ, and it'll continue till he returns. And, and we're called on in these last days to be aware of what God is doing. It's called the last days because God is dealing with his people, and he's going to deal with them. And in the last days, there will be times. There will be seasons of different kinds, and they're going to come. And so as we look now to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to notice the context here. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient unto parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And then he says this, from such turn away. What we just read to you, those are the consumers of culture. They're not investors, they're consumers. They're taking advantage of everything that's there with no intention of giving back. Now, what does he say about this time? And, and before we go any farther, I, I just sense the need. I, I need to pray. So join me for prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, your word is powerful and it's insightful and it's helpful. But it is given to us for the purpose of changing us, for the purpose of transforming us into the very image of Jesus Christ. And Father, we're living in days when we need to be bright lights. We need to be powerful witnesses and testimonies for you. And Lord, Paul wanted the, the people of 
that he wanted Timothy and those of his day to know what was going on and to know what was going to come. And he wanted them to make a difference. Lord, this is your word. It's for us today, too, and it's for us to make a difference. I pray that you'd help us now. I pray you'd, you would uh, speak through me. You would uh, guide my, my words, and you would uh, protect me from saying things that I shouldn't and help me to say the things that you want me to. And Lord, I just ask your Holy Spirit to work, and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Times and seasons. He said perilous times would come. And when you think about that, verse 1, perilous, that means dangerous, hard to deal with. It's the word savage. It's the same word that, that described the two demoniacs in Gadara in Matthew 8, 28. And so they were, they were violent and they were demonic. And he said that's what times are going to come. It says that it suggests to us that the violence of our age and the difficulties that we're facing are not just natural, they're supernatural, and they're demonic. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and look at verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? seducing spirits, and doctrines of devils. So there's a supernatural battle going on, folks. I don't know if you, if you thought about this, but we wrestle not, what, against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're wrestling against powers, and, and you stop and think about what's going on. And so you need to understand that the, the Bible is saying these are perilous times. They're characterized by demonic activity that is influencing people. And it starts, it starts here, Paul's day, and, and he's talking about this, and, and it's going to increase. It started back in his day. It started with Jesus Christ. He said, perilous times are going to come, but it has intensified over hundreds of years. As we get closer to the Lord coming back, and he is coming back, that's the good news. Jesus is coming again. I, uh, I, I'm so thankful for that information and that understanding and to know that and to believe that. But notice uh, what, what he says here. It's not simply that we have more people in the world. It's not that, that evil is, is uh, just more of it or it's more reported. The fact is evil is deeper and it's, it's of greater intensity. It is being accepted and promoted by society in bolder ways. It's not that we have small pockets of rebellion here or there, but you'll see it's spreading across. Uh, we've seen things happen in the United States in, in 2020 that we would have never thought would have happened. And those are not, those, listen to me, folks, that is just not man being rebellious. There is a spiritual warfare going on. And you and I need to know how to stand, and we need to know what we're supposed to do. All society seems to be in, in a fermenting and rebellious attitude, and we are indeed in perilous times. Paul gives testimony of three, uh, three instructions of how we 
respond, what we should be doing, and how we should be dealing with this. And the first thing that he tells us to do is to turn away from that which is false. Look at uh, um, verse uh, 5. He says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Here's his instruction. From such turn away. From such turn away. A faithful believer should have nothing to do with the people that Paul's describing in this section. He's saying, turn away from them. Don't have anything to do with them. These people operate under the guise of religion. They have a form of religion. They have a form of of godliness, but they deny the power thereof, he says in verse 5. So, three facts about these people. Their characteristics. We begin, look at verse 2. He says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. They have, there's, there's 18 things in the list here. There probably could be more, but they, first they have a misplaced affection. They, they are people who love themselves. They are lovers of money, covetousness, and they are lovers of pleasure in verse 4. So, so they have misplaced affections. Look at all the self-help. You look at all the things that are out. Look at the marketing to try and say, you can be better. You can be this. You deserve to look this way. You ought to be beautiful. You ought to be. And all of these things focused on what? On self. Focused on self. The heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. And God commands us to love him supremely and our neighbors as ourselves. Matthew 23, verses 34 through 40. But if we love ourselves supremely, we will not love God or our neighbors. Now you think about that. Christianity has even come to the place where it emulates the world too often we have we have gotten uh, now we don't hear much about this anymore but it's an underlying premise used to be they were actually preaching it and teaching it you can't love god until you love yourself but you know what the bible says the bible says every man loves himself no man ever yet hated himself our problem isn't that we love ourselves our problem is we don't love god And we have to get to the place where we realize that that is an issue. In our universe, there is, now think about this. This is simple. Everybody could say this and know this if you thought about it. In our universe, there is God, there are people, and there are things. Pretty simple, right? God, people, and things. We should worship God, love people, and use things. But if we start worshiping ourselves, we will ignore God and we will start loving things. Using people is a formula for a miserable life. And many people live that way today. They're miserable. Say, what are they missing? They're missing God. If you're an investor in life, then you love God and you seek Him and you try to love Him. 
But if you're a consumer in life, you'll take whatever. Well, God, give it to me so that I can use it, so that I can be happy, so that I can do what I want to do, and you want to use things, and give me, give me, give me, and we don't invest. We participate in this culture that's gone wrong. The craving for things is just one evidence that people's hearts have turned away from God. We all get the temptations. You have something and they tell you, oh, that's not good enough. You need something better. I mean, just like the like Jeremy in the introduction talking about the zeitgeist of this culture. Uh, and we're told those things. So we have misplaced affections and then we have selfish attitudes. Selfish attitudes. If someone loves and worships himself, the result will be pride. Genesis 3, 5, ye shall not be gods. Uh, Excuse me, let's go there. I, I misquoted that. Genesis 3, 5. I think it's ye shall be as gods. I think that's the message from the devil. Genesis 3, 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and ye shall be as gods. Knowing good from evil. Satan's lie to Eve. Changing the truth of God to a lie. Worshiping and serving the creature more than themselves. And and you can read in Romans chapter 1. And you see the decline of culture. You see man denying God and denying creation and the process continues on down and I'm not going to take the time to read Romans chapter 1 but if you start in Romans chapter 1 verse 19 and read to the end of the chapter you'll get the you'll get the picture very clearly and we're in that process today but what happens selfish attitudes they're boasters who glory in in Big displays in status and in worldly security. Look with me at at what he talks about here as we consider this. And you go back and look at the text. And he says of them, uh, verse 2, Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. Proud. Driven to be better than everyone else. Arrogant. Blasphemers. Those who speak evil of God and and His good purposes, who tear down the qualities of moral attributes and promote, instead of promoting what is true and promoting God's Word. Disobedient to parents. This This apostasy reaches into the family. It starts there. You know what happens? We don't teach children to obey their parents anymore. And because we haven't taught them in the family, then they go to school and they don't respect the teacher either. And then we we end up having a culture that has no respect. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. They do not appreciate their parents and what they have done for them. Entirely ungrateful and self-serving. Unholy. Not respectful of anything sacred. And who would substitute something pagan instead. Now, there's nothing new under the sun. And unholiness and paganism has been around since the beginning. 
But you stop and think about where are we today? You know, my wife and I were talking about uh, the fact that Sunday used to be the Lord's Day. And you didn't, you didn't have work and you didn't have sports and you didn't have all these other things on Sunday. Sunday was, uh, they had blue laws. In fact, when I first came here um, 42 years ago, I went to my barber to get a haircut, and we were talking, and he says, you know, I can't be open on Sunday because of the blue laws. I hadn't heard about blue laws, and we talked about the blue laws, and they, were, they basically said you, you can't have these businesses open on Sunday. But that's not the way it is anymore. And uh, they're unholy, then they're high-minded, not talking about when he talks about high-minded here, and you see it in the, in the text, unholy without natural affections, and you go on down, and, and in verse 4 he says, traitors heady, high-minded. The high-mindedness is not talking about lofty thinking, but rather a person who is puffed up with his importance and conceited in, in his own view of himself. And then there's wicked actions. You have, you have the, the nature here. They have, a, they have wrong affections, they have, and they have wicked actions, unnatural affections. Uh, family love is gone. Family is under attack. In place of natural love that God has put there is all kinds of perverseness and all kinds of twisted thinking. And, and that's, that's where we're at. And you can, again, read about that in Romans 1 or, or in 1 Corinthians 6. But it is... It's confusion, and God will judge it. And truce breakers, you see, see that word, truce breakers, in verse 3. And, and what he's talking about in truce breakers is that, that in the business world, uh, they, they, don't, they don't hold their contracts anymore, and there's perilous times, people who will not try to agree. They, they are unyielding and irreconcilable, and they must have their way in order to, to defend their position and to have it the way they want it. You have false accusers or slanderers trying to tear down the reputation of others. And we see these kinds of things in, and then the word incontinent means without self-control. You know, the thing today is have it your way, do what you want to do. You don't have to exercise any control. And, and uh, we have all kinds of situations where people are just, uh, they're just going and, and destroying other people's property and doing all kinds of things, and they're out of control. No concern. Lack of control reveals itself in the, in the fierceness and the untamed behavior so, so we have all of these kinds of things that are mentioned here. And, and really, uh, the, the word traitors uh, means, uh, in verse 4, describes people with, uh, which betray others and cannot be trusted. Heady means reckless, rash, acting without care. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God does not suggest that we must uh, choose between pleasure and God. For we... we God gave us everything to enjoy. And in his pleasure, in, in his presence is fullness of joy. Psalm, Psalm 16 and verse 11. So it's not saying that we can't love God and, and enjoy pleasure. But what they've done is they've, they've gone after the flesh and they enjoy the flesh more than they are 
ever concerned about doing what God wants. These people would consider themselves religious, having a form of godliness, an outward appearance of religion, no true Christian faith. They have never experienced the life and life-changing power of God in their lives. They have a form. They have a religion. They may go to church, but they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. No change. Now, these are false teachers. He says, what did he tell us to do? Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, what are we supposed to do? Turn away, turn away. And look at their converts in verse 6. It says, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with their diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I hesitate to say anything about the, the, the word silly women. But just so you don't misunderstand, it means weak, weak-willed women. They have weak wills. They're easily led astray. They're easily taken in. And Paul says what happens is that they get taken in by the false teachers and by the false preachers and the false people come in and they take advantage of them. But the same characteristic, whether man or woman, is that they are, they are burdened with guilt. Notice it says, laden with sin. You know, people are burdened with guilt, and they don't know how to get rid of their guilt. So what do they do? They, tr- they drowned it with drink, or with drugs, or with pleasures. They just don't think about their guilt. They don't think about their sin. They're burdened looking for some escape from bondage and fear, unable to control their various lust, And then they're always searching for truth. Notice verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Trying this approach and that, yet they are never able to be satisfied. False prophets, teachers, false, they come and they prey on these people. Promising them quick and easy solutions. They worm their way in and soon they're controlling these people and and destroying their lives. All done in the name of religion. No wonder Paul said, from such turn away. They're religious leaders. Look at verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses... So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Now we're talking here about the the Lord dealing with these leaders, these religious leaders, and it Janus and Jamres and Moses. It goes back to Exodus 7, 8, and 9. And it records the contest between Moses and the Egyptian magicians. And you remember the, that what happened here, tradition says that Janus and Jambres were the lead magi- magicians or uh, directors of, of the ma- magic in, when Moses was there. And you remember Moses 
What did he do? He, would, he threw his rod down and it became a snake. What did they do? They, they threw their rods down and they became snakes. The only difference is Moses' rod was able to devour theirs. But they were imitators. The idea is that they're imitators. They opposed Moses by imitating what he did. You observe the resistance they manifest. They resist God's truth by offering counterfeit imitations. Listen, folks, you need to be careful about this because the Bible says, try the spirits to see if they be of God. And you know, Satan has lying spirits and he has, he has, he appears as angels of light. People come off with all kinds of things today. And they say, God told me this. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, they have been taken in. And you stop and think about all of this. This is perilous times that we're living in. And, and he says, they observe the reason behind it. Look at verse 8. It says, and so, so do those resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. What's, what's going on? They resist God's truth and they are corrupt in their own minds. They're disapproved. They're reprobate concerning the faith. They have not the truth of the gospel. And they've turned it around and used it for their advantage. Now observe the results in verse 9. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, and theirs also, as theirs also was. Now, as you think about this, God will see to it that they can go no further. Their folly will be exposed and people will see them for who they really are. And God does that. But you know, you stop and think about how easy is it for us to get caught up in this if we have a consumer mindset. And God doesn't want us to have a consumer mindset. He wants us to have an investment attitude. He wants us to be investing in other people and seeking to help them. So what does he tell us to do? Look at verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecution, affliction, which came unto me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now he tells us here what's going to happen. Follow that which is true. Separate, don't go after the faults, but follow that which is true. We need to be followers of the right spiritual leaders. What are the characteristics? Their lives are open to all to see. Paul had nothing to hide. He said, you've, you've observed my life. You and I need to live lives that are transparent. We need to live lives that we don't have anything to hide. We need to live a life that is open so that we can have a testimony that others can see and they can see Christ in us. Not only do they, they have open lives, but they teach true doctrine. 
My doctrine, he said, Paul said, you know my doctrine. You know what I've taught. You know about the faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter how appealing a preacher may be, if he does not preach the truth of God's word, he does not deserve your support. Well, he's helping all of these children over in Africa, and he's feeding all of these people over there. You better check it out. Maybe 10 cents of every dollar that you send goes to the children, and the other 90 cents goes into his pocket to give him his multi-million dollar salary. You better check it out. Folks, radio and TV are great have a great deal of, of opportunity for us to learn and to take advantage of, but they also, there's a lot of mixture and there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of stuff there that's not true. And you need a heart that discerns right from wrong, good from evil. You need to understand the motivations and the personal, you, you know, um, we need to be careful about this stuff. Ask God to give you discernment. And then the other thing that Paul says, he said, he says he's, his, his life was open. He said he taught the truth. And then he said, you've observed my manner of life. I practice what I preach. I practice what I preach. He backed up his message with the way that he lived his life. And, and what was the purpose? The purpose was to glorify God. See what he says in verse 10, the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things, he wants, excuse me, get back, I turned my page and I got in the wrong place. Uh, He says, notice he says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, And he talks about what's going on and his purpose there is that Christ may be glorified, that Christ would be honored. And what does he do? He endures the difficulties, the troubles, the things that come. He's willing to go through those things. He was a man of faith who was trusted by God with the gospel. He's long-suffering. He helps, which helps us to understand people. Do Do you suffer long with people? Are you able to say, you know, that's it. I don't want any more to do with you. Or do you say, oh, God, help me to help them. Help me understand what's going on. And he was a man of love, charity, who willingly gave himself to serve others. And they're, they're willing to suffer. He was willing to suffer persecution. And what does he say? We're, if we're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, what do we have to be ready for? Ready for persecution. Ready for people to say, I don't like your God. I don't like your Jesus. And I don't like what you stand for. Are we ready for that? And then he gives the third thing. So he says, follow what's true. He says, don't follow what's not true. Stay away from that. Separate from it. But then he tells us this, and we pick this up in verse 13. He says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been 
assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And you stop and think about what he's talking about here. He says, continue in God's word. The only way to defeat Satan's lies is with God's truth. You need to know what God says. You need to be a student of God's Word. You need to be able to come back to the Word and understand it. And they were deceived, and, and they will deceive. But because they're being deceived by Satan. You see, Satan has deceived them, and then Satan used them to deceive them, others. And we're not to be deceived. We're to know the truth. In the last days, there will be more deception and more imitation. And the only way that a believer is able to tell the truth from the faults is to know the Bible. You've got to know the standard. You've got to rightly divide the word of truth. And he makes some important statements here about the Scripture. In verse 15, he says, they're holy. He said, you've known the holy Scriptures. That means they're set apart by God. They're given by God. And then he says that they lead to salvation. You know, you want to help somebody that's mixed up, messed up, and, and confused, and doesn't know which way they're going? You know what you need to give them? The gospel. Give them the salvation truth. Tell them about Jesus Christ. Help them to come to salvation. And then the scriptures, they're true and dependable. Notice what he says in, in verse 16. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. It's dependable and it's profitable. And they are there to equip us so that we can do the job God called us to do. Look at verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know what Paul wants us to do? He's given us God's Word, and He wants us to continue in the Word of God, to grow in the Word of God, to invest in the Word of God so that we can invest in other people's lives, so that we can care about them and give them the truth. He doesn't want us to just come and say, well, I got what I need, and off I go. You need to get what you need from God so that you can give to others so that you can invest in ministry, so that you can be an investor in relationships. We need Christ. The purpose of the Bible is not just to understand. It's not just to defend our faith. It's ultimately so that we can be equipped to serve others. Equipped to do what God called us to do. I, I was just looking at Philippians, and I'm not going to turn there right now, but do you know Philippians says that we're to be a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse world? How do we do that? How do we make the difference? We invest. We get to know God. We seek Him. We get to know Him. And we let him use us for his glory. Are you an investor? Do 
you come into a situation saying, what can I give? What can I do for others? How can I help them? Or are you a consumer? Do you come in saying, what can I get? What's in this for me? The false teachers were premier consumers. It was all about themselves. And what God wants us to be is all about Him. We live for Him. We love Him so that He can love through us. Would you bow your heads for prayer? Heavenly Father, we need Your care tonight. We're living in perilous times according to the Scriptures. And, and Lord, we, we are inundated with uh, advertising and commercial in always trying to get us to, to think about ourselves. And Lord, we need, to, we need to focus on you. We need to die to self and, and be filled with the Spirit and live for you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see Jesus and to be more like him. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would take the truth of the scriptures tonight and we would allow your word to profit us that we might help others. Lord, would you help this church to grow in grace and knowledge of you? And would you fill us with love and compassion for one another? Or would you build us up that we might be a bright light in the midst of this day in which we live? Thank you for each one here. Lord, uh, gain our attention. Help us to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us tonight and be willing to obey and let you have your way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation entitled, I Surrender All. I want you to think about where are you and what are you doing? How would others look at you? How would your spouse identify you? Would your spouse say they're givers, they're investors? About your children and children, what about your parents? How would they see you? And how does God see you? Is there room for improvement? Does God want to do something in your life? Would you let him have his way tonight?